Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today we discuss the past material, the historical material of this episode. Uh, We're not going to discuss the spirit world yet. We're going to wait for that tomorrow. A big episode on all of that good stuff to dive into. But here we're just going to talk about what happens and sort of look at that in uh, first the atomic bomb explosion and then the uh, scenes in New Mexico in 1956 that take up that back half of the episode. And there's so much to discuss there. As always, I should mention, I cut out any spoilers that were recorded because back in 2018, when I was recording this originally for patrons, it was considered a spoiler discussion. So I'm taking all of that material out so that it can fit into the Lost in Twin Peaks format where uh, we don't spoil the upcoming episodes. There may be a spoiler episode at some point to incorporate the stuff, especially from this discussion where we get to you know, dig into the series with 2020 hindsight, but uh, not not this time, not in this format. In terms of standalone one-off locations, the next one I want to talk about is the New Mexico desert when the atomic bomb goes off. So the way this is handled is we get a huge wide shot of the desert in stark black and white. There's a countdown, and then we see the mushroom cloud beginning, and it starts very small in the frame, like we're very far away from it, which is a really interesting aesthetic choice. It's really startling and kind of overwhelming, but it's tiny in the frame. But then we zoom into it and we go inside of the flames and inside of the particles. And that's where we start to see all of these strange little bits of, you know, the Twin Peaks mythology forming and breaking off, uh, along with a lot of abstraction that is very reminiscent of like a 2001 A Space Odyssey at the end when he goes through the wormhole, for example. So one thing I did think was interesting is that Lynch creates the sense of this uh, physical force just overwhelming the viewer through the camera movement more than just the act itself. I'm talking about that initial camera movement into the cloud, because like I Mm -hmm. said, it's almost like itself an atom in the frame. You know, it's so small and it only gets bigger as we approach it. So I thought that was an interesting decision. So this is supposed to be the origin story of Twin Peaks, right? That was the conceit behind this. That's what Mark Frost says, yes. And we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about... (laughs) But yes, Frost has said that his idea for Part 8 was to show an origin story for like the Twin Peaks mythology. This concept of the atom bomb going off and all of the visuals associated with it, which were just... They were startling. They were amazing, but they were also like I. The I don't want to keep coming back to this word, but uh, oppressive. You know, we have a fairly decent sized TV. It's not huge, but if you had like a big TV with some really hefty surround sound equipment, this would just almost be anxiety inducing. This whole scene, having all of that going on in the screen and all around you, because you have this sense of constant movement with all of the visuals, and it's almost like you're on this roller coaster ride that you, you don't know when it's going to stop. I mentioned the the camera movement in slowly to the cloud but that's another key aspect is it's slow do you you feel like that choice was made as is a a way to force us to ponder about it and to anticipate i think or yeah yeah to know we're not there yet but we're going there and i think lynch works so well with dread generally and that's a great way of evoking it Uh, you know he took something that has been photographed quite a lot and he presented it in a really fascinating way that off the top of my head i i can't think of um, another example of, of showing like a mushroom cloud that's dealt with it in that manner. It seems like the atom bomb, the most of the time that you get that whenever you're watching something else, you see it go off and it takes up the whole frame yep. almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And then you're just whited out. 
as it, mm. your your screen gets whited out and then you click to the aftermath of that. You know, as far as like my feelings about seeing the atom bomb, you know, I just kind of felt like I was slowly being brought in, but also being forced to view it in a way, even though that was an impressive mm -hmm. shot, but you know, what yeah, came definitely. after with like the, the internality of the combustive material, cause it, it looked alive. It, like the, the explosive cloud tunnel had a mm. pulse though. It was irregular. Like something was coming to life. The, some of it was even reminiscent of, of commingling of fluids and contracting mm. tissues, stuff like that. Yeah. So I have more, more to say about that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's, a, that's a great analogy. It's so fascinating because it's destruction and birth in the same, like not even at the same time, but as the same phenomenon. I think you may have mentioned this on your previous episode, but the famous quote from uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer when he saw the bomb was, now I am become death, destroyer of worlds, which is a quote from the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita is like a text that Lynch is often quoted on Twitter. I think back in 2009, he went on a spiel of like for weeks, just quoting passages of the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and it's interesting <laughs> that in uh, in Hinduism, you often have this idea of creation and destruction as part of the same process. And so it's fascinating that for this episode and what is considered an origin story and basically a creation myth for the mythology, it's also an image of, of pure absolute destruction. Right. And that, that was something that I sort of focused on in regards to this episode, because uh, I, I, there's two sides of a coin here where you have every creative act has its destructive consequence, but then you also have every destructive act has mm -hmm. its creative consequence. Another duality about this, this decision to make the Trinity test the origin story, or at least, you know, our starting point chronologically for this, for this Twin Peaks mythology is that you have the atom bomb as kind of a symbol of creation. This could be the big bang this could almost be anything but it's also a very specific historical event that was created by people so you have a creation story that's both abstract and eternal and extremely historically specific and man-made right and i love the fact that it works both ways because i think that's generally true of the twin peaks mythology i mean i've talked about this a lot uh, with you guys both in person and with the feedback that with Firewalk With Me, you have a sense that the human characters are almost calling upon the spiritual being. So like Mike shows up when Leland has just been reminded of Teresa. And, uh, you know, the Tremont show up when Laura's lost her diary and she needs kind of a new escape route or something. And so that's the small scale domestic example of that, the very personalized psychological story. And here you have it almost as a historical phenomenon where it's the acts of men to create this weapon that calls the spirits forth. I know I've always been enamored by that general theme of uh, creating your own monsters, creating your own demons, so to mm. speak. So so we, we create the things that eventually haunt yeah. us and or destroy us. So the atom bomb being a somewhat of a, a, of a bit of a on-the-nose way to do that, yeah. but given the visuals, that's easily forgivable. And that's what I meant I agree. at the opening about this being a, a human rot horror, like which becomes sort of cosmic. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's specifically, I think, an American horror story writ large mm. um, with our worst crime figuring in as the antagonist. I have trouble with a lot of the focus that people have on this idea of evil and Judy as the evil, which I think sometimes for me falls a little flat. I think one of the significant things about this event is obviously, you know, people have said like this was the birth of evil in the world or something, which is like, wait a second, this came literally at the end of six years of war. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? I think the significance is 
the physical aspect as well. The fact that it's actually almost violating a law of nature, or at least mm-hmm. manipulating it in a way never before seen, where you're actually splitting an atom and creating this breach. Put it this way, he's not showing the atomic bomb landing on Hiroshima. He's showing it being tested for the first time. We have the implication in our mind, and certainly that the music choice is specifically dedicated to the victims of Hiroshima. So that aspect is there as well. But I, I think it's interesting that he highlights a moment where the destructive force was mostly or at least in terms of human lives, it was mostly potential at that point. But just the act of doing it was enough to create this rift. It's almost like the we ate more fruit from the garden that we weren't supposed to eat, and now here <laughs> here's our here's our punishment. But I definitely agree. Totally. With, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like uh, I I think it's kind of naive to say that this is the the beginning of all evil. Evil as a concept. I mean, if even if you divorce it from biblical stuff or whatever you can see it going back through all cultures all the way back to the beginning of time so it's nothing new so this this has to be the genesis of evil if we're going to see it that way at all of what's going on with the whole lodge lore and bob and etc etc so it's that specific strain of it coming which we can maybe assume from a different dimension or something Mm -hmm. So moving chronologically, I guess, within the story, but not through the actual events of the episode, I next want to talk about the white sand sequence where the woodsman and the frog bug invade the town. And we'll save some of the analysis of that till the lodge lore section, but just to kind of lay out what happens there. A girl and a boy are returning from a date in this small desert town. Uh, He asks her for a kiss, and they kiss, and she kind of blushes and walks away, and we see her in her room kind of swooning a little bit. And then her radio starts to get fuzzy. And meanwhile, we've seen these woodsmen come down from the sky and terrorize this couple on the road, you know, on a, on the highway asking, got a light, got a light with the cigarette <laughs> in his hand. And then one of them enters a radio station, kills the receptionist and seizes the DJ's head and starts reciting this strange poem which we'll definitely save for the Lodgler section. And not only the girl, but other people listening to the radio, a mechanic and the woman in a diner uh, pass out on the floor. And this allows the frog bug that is hatched out of an egg in the desert to crawl into the girl's mouth. And the woodsman, after he's read the poem many times, he crushes the man's skull, walks back outside, and we hear a horse neigh or whinny in the, in the night. And then, interestingly, Lynch cuts back to the girl lying in bed and we end the the credits roll over her face and there's a little bit of an electric buzz there so there's a lot going on here i recently uh described this as basically like i said george lucas must have loved this episode because it's basically american graffiti on acid you know (laughs) uh it's it's that 50s all american imagery with you know a monster movie thrown in but interestingly it's much quieter than a lot of happy days or a uh rebel without a cause or what would you know american graffiti it's it's like it's less there's so much there's yes there's so much space between them you don't even see parents which is Mm. sort of strange i think because she she seems vulnerable yeah with the window and open yeah, and everything i know when i watched this episode at the time i loved i mean i loved this whole episode and i loved that part and i loved the fact that we were going into what seemed like this different world and i had a few ideas about it um one thing for one thing i felt like it really tapped into that deep american mythos 
that Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive tap into really well. And Firewalk with me, too, in some ways. Steve, you were saying it felt like watching a movie. Like, this felt very much like a movie, just uh, the way it unfolded, you know? And I was kind of hoping, I think, in some way, even though I wanted to get back to some of the stuff that you know, the the return had been developing. I was hoping like part nine would open in that town and they would see the girl the next day and she'd be encountering the boy and she'd be acting kind of strange and it would almost continue that storyline, maybe just for one episode. And like not give us answers, but just give us more time in that world. And I was really looking forward to that. We had a two week break after that, didn't we? That's right, we did, yeah. There was two whole weeks where we didn't have an episode? Yeah, or was I think it... so. So uh. <laughs> it was almost... Yeah, that was that's a good point to do yeah. that at though. Yeah. To, to just mm-hmm. I didn't have any expectations of what I had long since before this episode came out ditched any expectations of what I thought Lynch and Frost were going to do with the next episode because they really pulled out all the stops at excelling at defying everybody's expectations with this whole series with the whole return. Some of it obviously dictated by where they wanted the story to go, but some of it I feel like they had an impish, you know, gleam in their eyes when they did like, okay, the audience wants this, but we're going to give them this and that's how it's going to roll out, you know, deal (laughs) with it type thing. So I didn't really think along those lines at all, but I, I, like you, I did enjoy those scenes. And um, aside from Dune, the first David Lynch movie that I'd ever seen that Mm. M introduced me to was Blue Velvet, where, Mm. so it it makes sense. It would have made sense if he did open episode nine like that, because he seems to like to dwell in these areas. And I mean, so much of the original series of Twin Peaks is built around that small town um, Mm. thing that you're talking about, that Americana, uh, you know, mythology that we've built up halfway through Norman Rockwell and halfway through our own imaginations. Mm-hmm. I think I expected that we would get back to it at some point, but I mean, it still made me wonder, you know, how does this figure in into the larger mm. story? Because uh, I think we're meant to think about that in that way. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. Tomorrow's episode delves into the spirit world. Probably the biggest category of all in this episode. There's just so much there. We're going to discuss the the actions, the scenes that take place in the spirit world. But then we're also going to have a lodge lore section where we really ask what it means and pick apart things. I'll leave, as always, I'll leave out anything that's too spoilery that we discussed at the time. But uh, there's still so much stuff to pick apart there. So stay tuned for that tomorrow. See you then. Mm-hmm.